Hi, True Life. Uh, this is Jack and Lori Miskin. Morning, True Life. It's, uh, it's, it's been far too long since we've been together in person, and we really miss everyone. And hopefully soon we'll be able to be together and worship together uh, as, as a community uh, without the virtual side of things. But mm. uh, I'm glad to be coming to you today. We have a, today's reading. It is from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me three loaves. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, gives him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion? If, the, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give, you, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Continue standing with me. If we could, let's just pray. Lord. Do something with this passage that Jack and Lori just read. Illuminate it for us. Illuminate your revealed word in our hearts. Make it alive, make it personal, meet us where we're at today, each of us, those here in person, those watching online, and even those who are going to watch later on in the week, in your name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Good morning, if you're here for the first time, watching for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris, good to have you. We are back in a series called Reignite turning up our passion for how God wants to use us in 2021. What does it look like for God to fire us up, to be more faithful about the things that he's called us to be faithful in? And what does it look like for us to do that together as one church body, one church community, living on the Jersey Shore in 2021 in the middle of a pandemic? We talked last week about being a sending church, and then we literally sent off April and Joe Walters to go help plant a church in Long Branch. Thank you to those of you who gave in a love offering to them to help them with relocation costs. I think so far uh, over $2,000 has come in that we can bless them with. Uh, you guys are actually finding that out before they find that out. Um, they don't know how much has come in for them. In addition to that love offering, I want you to know that our board, our executive team, made up of, of Scott King, uh, Cindy Dornacker, Christine Aylett, Rob Allen, Bob Daver, Steve Doughty, uh, they have approved uh, six months of pay for April to continue while she relocates and while getting settled in a new job. Uh, kind of like a severance package, if you will. She's been part-time staff with us. Um, she wasn't fired. But uh, because they're going off on a mission and we're sending them off, we want to put our money where our mouth is. Doesn't mean we can do that every time somebody from our staff leaves to go plant a church. Um, but we're able to do that this year because of the faithful generosity of our people. And want you to know, uh, want you to know that. Want you to know that our board takes this seriously, being a sending church, and. Um, and want to thank you for your continual faithful giving. Um, uh, in addition 
to that, we want to have on our new website, which is coming soon. We want to have on our new website. Nick Peterson's putting that together. Um, but we want to have a page that highlights uh, missionaries in Israel, the ones that we highlighted last week, as well as the people that we're going to be sending out. So as we send them out to plant churches and to be part of church planting teams, we want to have updates on our website just reminders that, hey, they're part of our extended family still. We want to be praying for them. So that's coming soon. We want to just keep that in front of, in front of our church. That was last week. This week, we're going to talk about being a praying community, a praying church. What does it look like for us to be a praying church? Now, this is a harder one to talk about uh, then last week. Last week was difficult for certain reasons. People have no idea what it means to be ascending church. They're kind of, what the heck does that mean? And even when you talk about it and explain it, a lot of people aren't on board with that. They're like, wait a second, you want to get rid of people outside the church? That doesn't make sense. Um, but this one's hard to talk about for the almost the ex exact opposite reason. Everybody knows what prayer is, and they, they, they know you're supposed to pray. It's kind of obvious. Who wants to hear a message on prayer? It's like, duh, dude, of course, we're supposed to pray. If you're an atheist, you know that a religious person is supposed to pray. It's part of, supposed to be part of their, their lives. So I want you to know that I know that you're probably thinking, come on, dude. I want to hear something a little deeper than a message on prayer. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I've heard it said that a lot of Christians, while, while they believe in prayer on paper, if you were to look at the time they spend in prayer, they are pretty much functional atheists. Functional atheists, practical atheists, going through their lives, I don't need God, right? I mean, that's what their prayer life says. I don't really need God. I'm not dependent on God. I got this myself. Oh, yes, I'll say prayer is important when I'm in a small group setting with Christians. But otherwise, my life doesn't show I'm reliant on prayer. Some people pray when they're in a, you know, a trial, a tribulation. They're in the foxhole, right? But then once they're out of that foxhole, it's back to, I got this. I, I, can, I can keep going. If you're a type A personality, you might find prayer is almost an obstacle to productivity. Or at least it feels that way, right? Too busy to pray. Got too many things to do. You, you, you got jobs to take care of. You, you got a business to run. You don't have time to, to pray. Others of us, we, we, we think setting aside time to pray, uh, setting aside a structured uh, schedule for prayer is too cold. It's too clinical. So we avoid that. We kind of use that, the excuse that, you know what, I'm not, I'm not super religious. I kind of just feel it out, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual, and so I, I, I pray, you know, uh, uh, when, when, it's, when it's organic, right? But then what that ends up meaning is that we, we pretty much pray only when it's convenient, when we got nothing else going on, when we're in between errands, and when there's nothing good on the radio. Then we'll shoot up a few prayers, right? Others of us, we approach prayer with a religious mindset, so prayer is cold, it is clinical, it is sterile, and while it might be something we are disciplined about, it, 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 it doesn't fan our awe of God, it doesn't lead us to actually expect answers from prayer, we just kind of do it because it's part of the to-do list, we check it off, on with our day, sort of patting ourselves on the back that we did the deed and our hearts haven't really been changed. So these are some of the things we struggle with when it comes to prayer. So here's what I want to do today over the next 20 minutes or so. We're going to talk about four myths when it comes to prayer, myths that I think are even prevalent within Christian circles, the church. They're going to talk about some practices or habits that I see True Life Church embracing as a community. And then finally, we're going to end with a story of what God did in 2020 that I hope will inspire you to pray faithfully, persistently, and passionately over this next year. Sound good? Excellent. Better than good. Excellent. I love it. Awesome. All right. Let's get into it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Jack and Lori just read that passage. Thank you, Jack and Lori, for reading that to us. Um, we're going we're gonna to dive back into it in, in chunks looking at the four myths. Let me, let me share with you myth number one. Prayer is just talking to God. Myth number one, prayer is just talking to God. I've heard it said, prayer is just talking to God. Oftentimes we say it to a friend who grew up in a really um, uh, 
call it a religious setting where prayer was, you know, you have to say the magic words and it was formulaic and it was cold and sterile. And sometimes we try to respond to that by saying, oh, don't worry about saying the right words. Prayer is just talking to God, right? We kind of swing the pendulum, in my opinion, too far in the other direction in response to the formulaic, formal uh, side. We, we swing too far in the other direction, too far into the casual, informal. It's just talking to God. And I would say that's a myth. It's not just talking to God. And when we approach prayer as if it's just talking to God, I think that's one reason we get bored with prayer and why we don't expect answers in prayer. Let me show you. Luke chapter 11, let's start off. One day, starting in verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, follow, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew's version is a little longer. But here, here's the bottom line deal. Jesus' disciples see him praying. They are Jewish boys who grew up praying. They understood the importance of prayer. They were taught to pray. So why would they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray if prayer was just talking to God. They saw something about the way God communica uh, Jesus communicated with the Father that made them go, oh, we don't understand prayer the way we should. Could you teach us? And I think if you and I saw Jesus praying, we would feel the same way. We would be like, Jesus, I don't know if I fully understand prayer the way you do. Can you teach me? Prayer is not just talking to God. They saw something in Jesus. I think they saw in Jesus this intimacy and honesty with God where it wasn't formulaic. It wasn't about saying the right words. But there was also, on the other hand, this awe of the Father, this expectation that he was actually listening and that things were moving as a result of that prayer. And I think the disciples saw that in Jesus and they're like, we want that. We want that intimacy. We want that expectation. We want that awe that you have. So in other words, I think that, it, it, I'll put it like this, prayer is not just about praying with the right words, but it is about praying with the right heart, knowing who it is we're talking to. Because you don't just talk to God like you talk to someone else. I've been married long enough to know that communicating with my wife is not like talking to other people, right? You don't just talk to your Wife, right? Married people, you, you, you know that you talk to your spouse in a way that's different than you talk to other people. If I heard a man tell me, give me marriage advice and say, oh, you got marriage problems? Just talk to your wife. I'd know that they'd never been married, right? Jess and I are working on communication. We've got a lot going on, so we're, we're, we're working on our communication right now because it's not just talking to my wife. The way I talk to my wife has to be different, and I'm learning more and more. It has to be different than the way I talk to other guys. It has to be different than the way I talk to my kids. It has to be different, especially, than the way I talk to other women. How I talk to my wife is incredibly important. It's understanding who she is, who I'm talking to, approaching our relationship different than I do any other relationship. And I believe it's the same with God. I believe that's what the disciples saw in Jesus. He knew who he was talking to in a way that they didn't. He's our father, right? That's what Jesus said. But he's also reigning and ruling from heaven. Hallowed be your name. He's a God who wants his name to be made known, made holy in the earth. And he wants us as his children to want that too, right? We are approaching the God who wants to make his name hallowed on the earth, and he wants to do it through you and I. He wants his kingdom to come. He has a mission, and he wants his children, you and I, to be part of advancing that mission, to be part of advancing that kingdom. He wants us to come to him and say, Daddy, I want to be part of your mission. Do your will on this earth through my life today. Prayer is about coming to him 
with thanksgiving and expectation that he's going to give us our daily bread. Like really believing he's our provider. Really thankful that, man, you're going to provide for my needs. You're that big of a God. You're that huge of a God. It's coming to him, allowing him to remind us how much we've been forgiven by him. When we're tempted to come to him complaining about other people, I've spent time, too much time in prayer, just mumbling about the issues of other people. And then I go back to my daily life just as frustrated with those people, just as anxious about a situation, instead of coming to God going, God, forgive me as I forgive others, right? Remind me of how much you've forgiven me so that I can have the power to forgive others. So I'll say it one more time like this. Prayer is not just talking to God. It is talking to God. That's what they saw in Jesus. It's talking to God. It's getting, wow, this awe, this awe of our big, holy God. That's who he is. It's understanding what he wants to accomplish in this earth. That's why it's so important to read the Bible in combination with prayer. Because if we don't know the word, if we don't know what he wants to do, do, if we don't uh, see from Scripture who He is, we're not going to approach prayer the right way. I got this picture in my head. It's not in my notes, but like the other day, I got this picture of being at a zoo. And if you're able to, if you've ever been at a petting zoo where you can like pet the ducks, the chickens, the goats, and a friend comes to you and says, hey, how do you pet the ducks and the chickens and the goats? You might respond with, oh, you just, you just pet them. But if you're at, some, at a zoo where somehow you're allowed to pet a lion, and somebody came to you and said, how do you pet that lion? It'd be a different response, wouldn't it? You'd be like, well, let me tell you how you pet this lion. There's this awe, there's this excitement. It's different petting a lion than petting a duck, right? How I talk to you is, okay, I'll just talk to you. But when you get to talk to the God of the universe who's on the move and wants to call his children into his mission, it's different. It's like petting a lion. You get to pet a lion. You get to come to God in prayer. So prayer is not just talking to God. You get to talk to the God of the universe. Myth number two. Prayer doesn't change circumstances, but it changes our hearts. This is something people say. Doesn't change circumstances, but it, but it does change your heart. This is also a myth. It's, it's a partial myth, because it does change our hearts. But for God's sakes, literally, it changes circumstances too. It changes things, how they work in the world. Check out the next part of what Jesus teaches his disciples. After what he just said, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, he launched into this parable. Look at this parable. This is starting in verse 5. Jesus said to the disciples, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. So it was typical in that time. If you get a guest, you're going you're gonna to show hospitality and provide for them. So this friend... This guy doesn't have any bread to give his guest. So he goes to another friend's house. He's like, hey, hey, I got a guest with. He, he's just arrived. I got to give him something to eat. Can you, can you hook me up with three loaves of bread? Verse 7. And suppose the one inside answers and says, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So what's Jesus' point here? Overall, bottom line. Is it that the guy who's asking for bread realizes in his heart that he doesn't need bread after all? And he learns to be content without having bread? No. No. It's that he gets the bread. He gets the bread because he's persistent. Because of his shameless audacity, he keeps knocking. He's like, I get it that your kids are sleeping, but I really need that bread. 
I, I get I'm being rude right now, but I really need that bread. I get that I'm being annoying, but I really need that bread. And finally, he gets the bread. And Jesus' point, be like that in prayer. Be persistent because you'll get the bread. You, you, things will change on the outside. Circumstances will change. Do you see something around you, my friends, my brothers and sisters? Do you see something around you in the world that isn't right? That doesn't line up with God's kingdom. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your own heart. You see a sin issue in your own heart and you're like, I want to rip this out. Maybe you see an issue in somebody else's heart. Maybe there's an addiction in your family. Maybe there's an injustice that you see around you. Somebody needs healing. You see it. Jesus is saying, be persistent. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Because in God's sovereign control over all things... And I have a big view of God's sovereignty. I believe he's in sovereignly control of every single atom on this universe. And yet, I also believe from Scripture that Jesus is teaching us that God has ordained that our prayers actually change things. It's hard to understand. I don't fully understand. I don't think we will until we're face-to-face with him. But we can trust it. He is asking us to trust That in his sovereign control over all things, our prayers change the world. That's how he works. He has ordained that. He has invited us into the privilege of changing the world for good, and it is primarily done through prayer. I heard John Piper say, consider that there are things that will happen in the world that would not happen if you did not pray. Think about that. Our denomination, one of the core values of the Christian Missionary Alliance is that prayer is the primary work of God's people. It is the primary way we partner with God in bringing His kingdom, bringing His will to the earth. Came across a quote this past week in a book that Jess and I are reading called The Deeply Formed Life. Uh, a pastor named Rich Velotis says this, Prayer is a steadfast refusal to give ourselves over to either resignation or self-reliance. Resignation says things will never change. Self-reliance says we can change things in our own strength. Prayer is how we do battle with both. It says, no, things can change. I can't change it in my own strength. But through prayer, (laughs) things can change. So prayer changes things. Prayer is productive. Type A people, you want to be productive? Pray. Pray. Myth number three. Prayer should not feel like work. We live in a time and a culture where anything that feels like discipline, people push up against and just call it religious. I don't do that religious stuff. Because it takes discipline. I think we have to be very careful not to throw the baby of discipline out with the bathwater of legalism and religiosity. Right? Legalism is wrong. It's trying to earn God's favor through our discipline and our habits and our activities. But those disciplines and habits and activities are not in and of themselves wrong. Prayer should not feel religious. It should not be about earning God's favor. It should not be about checking something off a list and saying, there, God, I'm good with you. But that doesn't mean it doesn't take discipline. That doesn't mean that sometimes it does not feel like work. Let me go back to that quote from our denomination. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. Sometimes it feels like work. Sometimes it feels like laboring. It's, it's partnering with God and bringing his kingdom. It's being persistent. Jesus wouldn't have told that parable about the persistent friend if it didn't sometimes feel like a, like a labor, like, like, like we're having to keep going. We were knocking, and just when we're tempted to turn around, and you know what? He's not answering the door. He's not getting up. I'm going I'm, I'm to go back home. No, I'm going to keep knocking. The Apostle Paul talked about laboring in prayer. Sometimes it will feel like labor. Sometimes it will feel like uh, effort and discipline to set aside time 
to, to push past what feels like the urgent coming at us, right? The dinging on our phones. It takes effort and discipline to say, no, 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 no I'll deal with that later. I'm going to focus in. I'm going to come to my Father. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen. I'm going to go back to the marriage analogy, the parallel. Marriage is about relationship. It's about intimacy. But married people, does it sometimes feel like work? Yeah. Sometimes it does. Discipline. For me to do the dishes in the morning so that Jess feels like life is a little more ordered as we start the day takes discipline. I don't do it to earn her love, but I do it so that we can more fully together experience the love we have for each other. Heck, just the, the, the most fun things we do together, like go on a date, takes discipline. We went on a date on New Year's Day. We went bowling, and then we went out to sushi at Eco, thanks to a gift card from Pat and Pam Hess. Love sushi. Great date good time. But it took discipline to make that date happen. We had to arrange for where the kids were going to go, make sure my parents were available. We had to make reservations at the restaurant. Just getting the kids out of the house is an operation in and of itself. Where's your shoes? Did you check the backyard? Did you check the basement? They finally got their shoes on. Now where's Sienna? She's running around outside. Why is she running around outside? Okay, let's go get Sienna. Now Sienna isn't. Tessa, why'd you take your shoes off? You just had your shoes on. Now where'd they go? Where's your jacket? It's, it's left it in the rain. Okay. We've got to find a sweatshirt for you to wear. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's worth the effort, but you say, you know what? This is going to be worth it. And prayer can be the same way. Sometimes it feels like, you know what? I've, I've, I've asked God. I've, I've prayed for those things before. I don't want to keep, I'm discouraged. But we say, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep laboring in prayer for my family, for this breakthrough, for our culture's chaos. So for us to think that prayer should never feel like work is a myth. It is the primary work of God's people. Number four, lastly, it's arrogant to expect God to answer prayers. Some folks think it's arrogant to expect God to answer prayers. I, I, I was talking to a woman I remember a few years ago whose husband had cancer, and I asked her uh, if she was praying for his healing. And she responded with, um, no, I'm not asking God for anything more than he's willing to give. That was her response. I was like, huh? What? But, but, but from where she was coming from, she thought it was humble to have sort of a, um, you know, quesera, whatever will be, will be sort of attitude. You know, the future's not ours to see, whatever happens, happens kind of thing. Um, and while I'm a big proponent of trusting in God's sovereignty over the things we cannot control, that does not mean, that's not an excuse for us to be passively fatalistic about the things that God has told us to pray for. That is his will, his kingdom, and say, pray my kingdom come. We are to go after those things. If Jesus told us to pray for his kingdom, if he told us to pray that his will be done, if he gave us this parable about the guy bugging his friend for bread, should we not expect that our God's going to answer our prayers? That's not arrogant. And in fact, it's arrogant to not expect that. It's prideful to not expect that. Let's look at the rest of the passage where Jesus really brings it home. In verse 11, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is it arrogant for my daughter to ask me if I love her and not expect me to answer her? Is it arrogant for her to ask me to hold her and not expect me to do so? No, that's not arrogant. Jesus is telling us what we can expect from God and for us to say, no, I don't think I should expect that. That's arrogant. That's disobedience. That's prideful. 
Jesus is making it very clear, even if your earthly father, who is sinful, wants to give good gifts to his children, how much more your heavenly father wants to bless his children, especially with the gift of his own spirit, who comforts us, guides us, and leads us, and empowers us to do his will. Last week, I read a testimony from Mary Martin, who asked Pastor Rigo to pray over her last month for boldness. She wanted to be more bold in sharing her faith. And a few days later, she was given the gift, through the power of the Holy Spirit, of that boldness. And she led somebody at her job, a patient, to Jesus. That's God answering her prayer with the gift of the Spirit, because he's a good God who wants us to expect answers when we pray. We, he wants us to expect him to move. He wants us to expect him to change the world because we prayed. So True Life Church, we want to be a praying community because God has ordained that the prayers of his people actually change the world. That's how he's ordained things to work in his kingdom. Now, in order to be a praying church, just in the last five minutes, what will that look like? What should that look like? Uh, there's habits, there's rhythms that I think we need to embrace as individuals, as families, and then as a church community. Uh, and you need to figure out what that's going to look like. But I think part of uh, being a church community is helping each other, learning from each other our, the habits that we do, the rhythms that we do. Hey, what works for you? What are the rhythms you implement with your family? As an individual, I don't start the day without prayer. And I've heard it said, and I, and I, and I, would, I would give this advice, find a, a time and a place, a regular time and place. I don't have a regular time and place. Uh, my time in prayer is anywhere between 1 in the morning and 7 in the morning. Sh shifts, day to day. Sometimes it's in my kitchen, sometimes it's on my living room floor, sometimes it's in the bed, sometimes it's on the bedroom floor, sometimes it's walking around the neighborhood, sometimes it's on the back porch, front porch. But I would say find a fixed time and, and place uh, so that you make sure it's a priority for you. It looks different for me in what I'm praying for. Sometimes it's about praying for you guys primarily. Sometimes it's about praying primarily for my family. Sometimes it's about the world. It's, it's, it's missionaries. It's the persecuted church. It's people who don't know Jesus out there in the world. Sometimes I'm, I'm praying primarily to give thanks. It's about giving thanks for what God's done. I like to keep track of prayers and answered prayers and I get to look back and go, Wow, God, just this past week, look what you did. Holy cow. Sometimes prayer is primarily about casting my anxieties onto him, releasing burdens. Sometimes it's about asking for power in ministry. Sometimes it's asking to care about people when I don't really feel compassion. So it looks different, but I don't start the day without praying. I don't feel like I can do so. I've seen God answer so many prayers this past year, so many. I, I make a list at the beginning of every year of what God's done, and it's amazing. Um, I, I shared a couple weeks ago about my relationship with my daughter, Tessa, <laughs> doing a complete 180. Uh, uh, April and Joe being sent off. You know, we were praying last year that God would tap some people on the shoulders who are called to, uh, feel called to be sent off. And April and Joe get called to be sent off. I believe that's because we prayed. I got to be part of that by praying, right? I'm not saying it's only my prayers that change things, but when you pray, you get to be part of something. You ever talk to somebody who was like, you know, um, uh, you know they, they marched with Dr. King, or they, they, they were at the D-Day, the or, or they, uh, you know, they, they were among the, the 400 people who helped, you know, the, 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 the launch to the moon, you know, they talk about it with honor. I was part of that. They're not saying I get all the credit, but they were saying, like, I was part of that. I was there. And I think God wants us as his children to be able to say, I was part of that through prayer. I was praying for that. I was, like, you, you, you feel this connection to your father when you're praying for something, and then you see it get answered. 
There's times, just, just small examples, where I'm praying and, and God puts one of you on my heart because uh, I haven't seen you in a while. And you don't know what's up and kind of concerned about you. And I'll pray and it's like, God, let them show up today. See how they're doing. And you, you will show up out of the blue. And I'm like, that's because I prayed. That's daddy, my father going, boom. Prayer changes things. Just a reminder for me. I, I, I kind of smirk. I'm like, oh, I knew I'd see you today. Because <laughs> I prayed. And that's happened for a couple of you in this room, I think, today. <laughs> As a couple, me and Jess pray most days. Not every day. Most days. Um, at some point in the morning together. And again, we pray for you guys. We've seen God answer prayers. As a family, we usually pray before dinner. I used to think that was kind of a religious rote thing, you know. We pray for, and I've, I've realized that uh, we, we take food for granted. We, take, we just kind of rush through stuff. It's too easy. So we kind of stop to pray uh, when, when, we're, you know, when we have dinner together three or four times a week as a family. And, you know, it's just a way of reminding ourselves that God provided this food. And just like God provided this food, he's going to provide everything else that we need. And just like this food tastes good, God's kingdom is good. It's going to be great when his kingdom comes in its fullest. God's a good God. But then as a church community, what should that look like? What do our rhythms look like as a church community? We've got two prayer gatherings that happen on Thursdays. We've got one in the morning at 9 a.m. at the church office. We've got one online over Zoom at noon. Two different prayer gatherings, two small prayer gatherings. I know some of you guys are part of those regular, you regularly attend one or the other. Um, people have talked about doing like big prayer events, you know, like, like a prayer night kind of thing. You know, 50 to 100 people show up and we're praying. Um, and, 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 as I've prayed about that, <laughs> um, not against that, but m m personally, what I see is a bunch of small gatherings in our church. I, 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 I would rather see five prayer gatherings throughout the week attended, five people attending each one regularly and consistently than one big prayer event where 200 people come out. And then they go back and not very consistent. I'd rather have 25 people be consistent, passionate, expectant in prayer than 200 people come out to an event where it kind of, can, can kind of feel good, but then you kind of go back to, again, not against events, but we're just not really an event-driven church. We're, we're more of a groups-driven church, and I think we need to lean into that even more so during COVID, right? So my hope is that in a year from now, we've got 10 prayer gatherings happening throughout the week that people can attend couple on Thursday, a couple on Wednesday. That means these two are multiplying, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great? We've got prayer happening all the time throughout the week. In addition to those prayer gatherings, uh, we, we have designated Thursdays as our prayer and fasting day. Uh, I know some of you guys are on a separate email list where you get a list of prayer requests in our church and you take time throughout Thursday to pray on your own. Some of you fast, I know that. Uh, if you want to be part of that, You've got to sign up, take the connect card. There's a connect card uh, around you, or you can grab one in the back, and just say you want to be on that prayer list. That's separate than our mass email list, okay? Um, and speaking of fasting, fasting is another way that as a church, when we fast together, it's a way of saying, um, I want to channel my hunger for this food into a hunger for God. God, as hungry as I am for food right now, I want to be more hungry for you. As dependent as I am on food for strength, I'm more dependent on you for strength, for power, for wisdom. As much as I want food just to give me comfort right now because I'm a little anxious, God, I'm more dependent on you for comfort. I'm more dependent on your presence to give me peace. Fasting is a way of uh, joining God in lamenting and mourning over the brokenness of this world. Right? It's, 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 it's a way of feeling an ache and a longing in our soul and going like, mm. as much as I want food to fill this ache in my stomach, God, I want you to return. Jesus, I want you to return to fill the ache, the groaning of this whole world that's broken. So fasting 
pushes us into prayer. So you can join us in fasting on Thursdays. Some people fast once, one meal. Some people do 24 hours, different things. Um, a group of uh, leaders fasted for, uh, we did a more extended fast back in December, two to three days. It was kind of a spontaneous thing. Well, we're going to do another one of those in early February and then another one on uh, the week leading up to Good Friday. And if you want to join us for that, we're going to be putting out information for that or you can be a part of that one. Um, so those are some things, but finally, the final thing that we want to do as a church, in addition to prayer gatherings, in addition to um, praying for all the requests that come in, in addition to fasting together, we want to celebrate answered prayer. We want to be a church that celebrates what God has done in our church community in response to our prayers. And that's what this, uh, these video testimonies that we're showing this month are about. It's about showing, look what God did. Look how God answered prayers. So we're going to turn our attention in a moment to the screen, and we're going to watch a testimony of a young man in our church, what God did in his heart, in his life this past year. Uh, I spoke to his mother, who's in our church this past week, um, just, just sharing about just how faithfully they prayed for each of their children growing up through the years, um, and how they got to see God answering their prayers for this particular child of theirs. Uh, she shared with me one thing that she used to sing over him, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with you after the video. So take, take a look at this video story. Okay, so at the beginning of 2020, from an outside perspective, I would probably look like a lot different person. The kids that I was like hanging out with and rolling with, we were you know, just, just a lot of partying, alcohol abuse, getting into different drugs here and there, and um, chasing girls. I was always trying to stay active. I'm active and I like being active, surfing and all that type of stuff. Surfing, rock climbing, hiking. But I was also looking to that for a fulfillment to distract me from a lot of the anxieties that I had. I was calling myself a Christian, but was living that lifestyle. Never opened up the Bible. Definitely wasn't looking to Jesus for, for fulfillment. I was in a parking lot at like three o'clock in the morning with one of my buddies who was actually sober at the time and he was driving. He's like, Maddie, you're not acting like yourself. And I was exp I just expressing, I was like, dude, I just feel so numb. Like, that's the best way I could describe it. So, I started going to true life a little bit more, but I was still living that other lifestyle. And I would make it there on Sundays, like, most of the time when I was getting off of work because I wasn't out the night before. Because a lot of the reasons why I wouldn't make it on Sundays because I was, I was hungover from Saturday, you know what I mean? I, was, I wasn't making it to church in the morning on Sunday. So when I was coming home from work, I was obviously I'm not I'm not partying at work. So when I came home, I was able to go to church, even though it was right in front of me, like God. I was still seeking everything else but God still. And it was right in front of me and I was going to church. It's like really hard to explain. It was more so after I met someone at church, they kind of questioned my spirituality, put it like right in my face, like, what are you seeking? Like, like, what are you like seeking in a way? Am I seeking this person? Am I seeking other things? What it like, and it's like the whole entire time, I just didn't realize, and like I said, it was right in front of me. I wasn't seeking God. That was when I kind of think the Holy Spirit started to work in me. The next day, I called up my brother, and I asked him if he could meet me to get coffee, which is like, not, def that was like the first time I've ever done that. Like I, like, I don't call people just to like talk to them. But, uh, <laughs> so Danny kind of knew like something was up. Danny, my brother, my older brother, he took on the spiritual 
leadership role for me. He would pray with me, we would uh, we commute together to work, to and from work. And that was uh, really those times commuting to and from work where we would have an hour in the car just to communicate. This was a really impactful process. We would listen to scripture on his phone and then he would talk about it with me. Well, leading up to the week of Good Friday, there, there was that blog post of like the, the Lent readings, I think it was called, and I had been keeping up with it just because, just as I've been feeling compelled to read the Bible and everything was making sense and the truth was being revealed. And so naturally, the, I, was, I started reading the Lent readings and then I came across Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I like knew I had to get baptized. But I was like, dude, I gotta get baptized. Like I gotta go up in front of like the church and like I don't wanna do any of that stuff. But I felt compelled, like this is something I need to do. It's it was something I you I knew I had to do. And there was no if, ands or buts, even though in my head I was like, I don't I don't wanna do it at all. So I got baptized on Memorial Day by my brother. It, it's funny, you talk about like living in, where the scripture talks about uh, living in light and living in darkness. And like quite literally, when you're living in darkness, you can't see and you're stumbling around, bumping into walls, tripping over things. The best way to explain like how I was living in yeah, since coming to Christ, it's like the lights were turned on and the truth was revealed. I think of that one scripture in Ezekiel, like, uh, make your heart of stone, a heart of flesh. And just my, like, emotions now, and just, I feel like I'm, like, feeling, I don't know if I'm feeling, like, extra, because I've been, like, numb for so long, or if this is just how, like, everyone feels all the time. But, like, just sincere love for people and, you know, just all the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace. You can't try to be loving. You can't try to be um, patient, or you can't try to have peace on your own if you just look to Jesus and believe in Jesus. Those things naturally come. And the anxiety is lessened. I mean, I have anxiety right now, but <laughs> it's lessened for sure. Now, I want my life to be about Jesus and loving, first loving Jesus and to share Jesus' love. It's everything. It's why God, you know, decided to forgive us and send down His only Son. It was all out of love. Love just breaks down walls <laughs> and it all comes from loving Jesus. Yeah, that's God, right? That's what God does. That's what God does. Cindy Dornacker said uh, one of the songs she used to sing over Matthew, one of the lines was, I will tell your people that you care. When he was a kid, and it didn't occur to her till after all this uh, that that was one of the things that she used to sing over him. And how about that? Here he is on video telling God's people that God cares. Huh? God answers the prayers of faithful, persistent parents. 
And what's interesting is he, he, he does it in ways that, um, he does it in all kinds of ways. He uses all kinds of people. One of the things Matt shared with me in a, in a follow-up email, and I'm just going to read a couple excerpts um, real quick. Uh, just different ways he used some of you guys in his life over this last year. Um, he said, in, all the groups that I've been a part of have been so awesome. In the men's group, it's so cool to hear what wiser Christians further along in their walk and experience have to share. The young adults group has also been so inspiring. They all seem to be wise beyond their years. They all received that gift from the Holy Spirit. I barely know any of them, but I feel a brotherly, sisterly love for each of them. Pastor Rigo's classes have been such an important part of my growth. I've yet to share this with him, but he prayed a really special prayer over me over Zoom after one of the classes. He prayed for the anointing of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, and I felt something and still feel I'm feeling the effects of it today. I have to mention how special Justin has been for my growth in the past few months. I'm lucky I can call him a brother and friend. And then he goes on to talk about the youth ministry, and he kind of sums it up by saying, I really can't say enough about each person I've met here with True Life. God is so good, and I'm humbled and so thankful. And what's cool is that those people, nothing super special about them, but they're just people who say, God, they're not, they're not. I know them. I know most of them. <laughs> but they're people who go to God and God, your kingdom come, your will be done and use me, use me, however you want to use me. And then there's Dan and Cindy praying for their son all those years. And who would have known that God would have answered those prayers by using these people who are coming to God in prayer saying, your kingdom come through me, I'll do whatever, my, my life is submitted to you. And he collides them together and you get Matt's testimony. Ain't that powerful? You just don't know. So, band, why don't you band folks come on up here. We're going to end with some worship. We're going to end celebrating this God who answers our prayers and we're also going to just have... Uh, the opportunity for you to receive prayer from um, Dan and Cindy. Could you guys be on one side and Scott and Camille, could you be on the other side down here and just be available if you're here and you need prayer for anything. They're available to pray with you. Scott and Camille and Dan and Cindy, you guys can come on down. Maybe you stand kind of behind the speaker. It's easier to, to, to hear. Um, so anything. But especially, I would say, if you have a family member, a child, an adult child maybe, who is where Matt was a year ago, and you want to see God do in that family member or that friend what God did in Matt's life, why don't you come down and ask these guys to pray with you? Maybe you are where Matt was a year ago. Maybe that's you right now. You're where Matt was a year ago, and you're like, man, I need to do something with my life. I want what Matt has now. I don't know what that means. You can just come down and say, hey, I know I need Jesus. I don't know what that means. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. So let's stand. Let's worship God. Let's celebrate the God who answers prayers, the God who has ordained in his control over all things that your prayers make a difference. Your prayers change things. Your prayers move mountains. Mm -hmm.